This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Okay, um, so you can turn to Luke 11 in your Bibles. We will get there eventually. But I do want to set this up a little bit. So... Tonight, like I said, we are answering the question, focusing on the question, why should I pray? And uh, for my section of this teaching, I did a little subtitle, so you can write this down, uh, Persisting in Prayer for the Sake of God's Purpose. I'll say that again, Persisting in Prayer for the Sake of God's Purpose. And... The goal of this teaching is really just this. It's to remind you why we pray, that there's a reason why we pray. I know that sometimes we can do something so much that we get into a habit of doing it, but as I was meditating on this, God was like, you know, there's a difference between knowing what to do in a certain situation and knowing why you're actually doing it, right? So I was thinking about just when we, when we have food, right, we always pray over our food. We know what to do in that situation. But do you understand why you're doing that? Do you understand why you're praying? And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, the question, like I said, is why should I, as a believer, because this message is for believers, pray? And the simple answer to that question is because Jesus did. So like I said, this message is for believers, and as a believer, we have given our lives to Christ. We have have said that our lives are in his hands, that we're committed to following him all the days of our lives. And so as a believer, I should pray because I am a follower. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if we are his disciples, then we should follow our example, and Jesus is is our ultimate example. I love looking at the example of Jesus because he taught us to pray not just in word, right? There's definitely some things that he said about prayer, but he taught us to pray in his deeds as well. He was always going away uh, from, from the crowds and all the people that were following him, and he set aside that time to pray because he deemed it as important, because he knew that there was a purpose for praying. And so I should pray as a believer because Jesus prayed, and he is the ultimate example I must follow. Jesus prayed because he had a work to complete. And so connect this to some of the things that we've been hearing um, in the past. We, we've been hearing about finishing our course, and God has a purpose, and the work of the church in this present generation is to restore this generation. And so, just like we have a work, Jesus had a work. His work when he came to this earth was to die on the cross to redeem mankind from sin. And he did that. And, and the, the reason that he was able to complete that work is because he prayed consistently. He was in constant communication with God our Father. And so, following that example, right, we have a work to complete. We have something that we have been called to do. We've learned that each of us has a different course. And all of our courses, they may look differently, but they all line up with the present work of God, and all of that falls under God's overall purpose, which is to redeem mankind. So the first point that I want to make tonight is that we should pray because God is doing a work now, and you are a part of that work. 
And that's so important for us to understand because a lot of the times I think that people can, can see, you know, God doing these amazing things in other people, right? But you have to realize that God is doing a work in you, that he wants to do something in you, that he wants to do something through you as well. So you are a part of the work that God is doing. Um, second point I want to make is that I should pray because prayer is how we access the sufficiency of God. And you need God to do the work that he has for you. So it's one thing to understand that you're a part of this work. But, I mean, it's work, right? So that means that you have something that you need to do. And you need God for instructions because he's the one who is giving us the work to do. We need to ask him, okay, what, what is this supposed to look like? What are my next steps? What am I supposed to do so that I can actually do the work? And as I was meditating on this point, the example that came to my mind was the example of Mary and Martha. Because I want to make, the, make it a point to say that it does us no good to spend all of our time praying, but then we never put our hands to the work. We never actually do the work. And then in the same way, it does no good for us to just work, 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 but then we never pray. Right. Um, The example of Mary and Martha, the the, the specific scene, if you will, that I'm thinking about is when Jesus came to their house and the scripture says that Martha was encumbered about with much serving. She wanted to just work, 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 serve, serve, serve. But Mary, the scripture says she took time to sit down at the master's feet and to receive from him something that I'm always mindful of. You know, especially like being over the music department and everything, something I always say is that we need to make sure that since we're always up here, right, we're always serving in a certain capacity, we always need to make sure that we are being fed, right? We need to make sure that we are receiving from God, and prayer is a part of that. So we need prayer to access the sufficiency of God to do the work that he has for us. Last thing I want to say before I get into my objectives is we need to pray, we should pray, so that we can actually complete the work of God. Again, connect this to the teachings that we've had. We have a course, we can get started, we can maintain, but we also need to complete it. We also need to finish it. And we understand that finishing means that we have brought it to a state of excellence so that it can continue on without us. And we need prayer for that because you don't know what's going to happen after you leave this earth, but God does. And so you need to pray and you need to seek God on how to finish the work that he has given you so that, you can, so that it can continue even after your lifetime. Amen. So that, that was just you know, a brief overview of why we should pray. Um, but to better understand why prayer is so necessary tonight, um, if we have time, we'll see is um, we're going to learn what prayer actually is by reviewing the lesson Jesus gave his disciples on prayer. And that's why I have you in Luke 11. We're going to look at that in depth, in detail. And then I also want to talk a little bit about why we neglect prayer. And again, this goes back to what I said at the beginning. We can know what to do. But if we don't know why we're doing it, then it's just going to become a mindless habit. We don't want prayer to ever become a mindless habit for us. We want to be effective in our prayers. Amen? And so uh, to give you the answer now um, about why we neglect prayer, it's all because we've lost sight of the purpose of prayer. And so, again, that's why we're having this teaching, so we can understand the purpose of prayer, God's purpose of prayer. 
And then I also, time permitting, want to look at Daniel's prayer life specifically as an example of persisting in prayer for the sake of God's purpose. And I'm just going to say this now because I may forget to say it later. Um, Go read Daniel. Just read the whole book. It's not that long, but Daniel's prayer life is so amazing because he was a young boy in a different country. He wasn't, you know, I guess he was with his people, but he was in a foreign land, but he still prayed. He still remembered his God, and he still remembered, Lord, I need you. Daniel, something about Daniel that that just really resonates with me is that he was promoted a lot. Right. So even from the beginning, he had the the scripture says that he had favor with um, his what what is it? The the prince of the eunuchs. He had favor with the prince of the eunuchs. And then in like the next chapter, Daniel um, interprets King Nebuchadnezzar's dream and he's promoted. And then you see in the next chapter, he's promoted again. And he, he just keeps getting promoted and he's working in government. So he's working in this area where it would be really easy for him to just like back off and say, you know, I don't know if I want to do this prayer thing. Um, I don't know if I still need God. It seems like I'm doing good by myself. But nevertheless, throughout his life, you see him persisting in prayer. And that's all because he had God's purpose in mind. There we go. Okay, so the first point is, um, what is prayer? And I just want to share with you what Google says prayer is, because I thought this was interesting. So the first definition that came up for prayer is, that it is a solemn request for help or expression of thanks addressed to God or an object of worship. So, of course, this is Google, right? So they have to have that object of worship because they're not just talking to believers, but we know that God is the only God. Um, The next definition that it gave was that it was a religious service, especially a regular one, at which people gather in order to pray together. And then the last definition, which just kind of made me a little bit mad, was, that pray, they said that prayer was an earnest hope or wish. Now, <laughs> I can imagine that there are some people in the church who would be okay with, you know, an earnest hope or wish. They may be okay with it's a solemn request for help or an expression of thanks. But really, in all of these definitions, I could nitpick and tell you the problems that I have with each, of, each and every one of them. But really, the issue is that purpose is not here. The first one, I said I wasn't going to nitpick, but I, I am. So the first one, it says it's a solemn request for help or expression of thanks. And my thing is that you're just asking for help once. I would have put a continually, continually requesting help, continually giving thanks. Because when we're asking for help, we have to understand that in prayer, when we're asking God for help, when we're asking God, when we're seeking God for a certain situation, he is going to answer. And when he answers, you should give thanks. And it should just be this continual cycle that's going on. So it's not just a one-time thing. The next definition, a religious service. That word religious kind of speaks to, you know, uh, vain traditions, things that we just do because that's what we do. Purpose is not in that. And then the last definition, an earnest hope or wish. <laughs> when I read this definition, I so have you guys seen The Princess and the Frog? Y'all know that movie? I'm, I was thinking of this image of, of Tiana when she was a little girl and she was like looking out her window at a star and she had her eyes squeezed tight and her hands like this. And she was like, please, 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 for, I, I don't know, it was like a restaurant or something. But that's what I thought of when I heard, an, when I read an earnest hope or wish. 
because it has that word earnest in there, which implies that there's some sincerity, that there's like, uh, I really, really want this, or I really, really need this. And we're not discounting the wants, we're not discounting the need, but is it in line with God's purpose? The second thing that, that bothered me about this definition is the wish thing. Because if it's in God's purpose, it's not a wish. Because if you're praying according to God's will, he's going to answer. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. So it's not a wish. A wish is like you just throw something up in the air. Oh, okay, whatever. But prayer is based on the word of God. And the word of God is never changing. And the word of God, it it is. It just is. So we've looked at Google and its interpretation of prayer. Now let's look and see what Jesus says. So let's go to Luke 11, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And the scripture reads, And it came to pass that as he was praying, see, Jesus led us, taught us in his example as well, in his deed. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. I really hope we get to that tonight. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that's where we're going we're gonna to stop. So this prayer, this is a model prayer. And this model prayer is a lesson. In it we learn what prayer is and why prayer is necessary. So let's start from the top. Verse 2. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven. And so from this statement, we understand that prayer is verbal communication with God, our Heavenly Father. And I'll go to the next point so I can further explain that. So let let me start from verse 2 again. And he said unto them, when ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I love this next part, hallowed be thy name, because it shows us that in prayer, we need to first come acknowledging the holiness of God. Hallowed means holy. And holiness, we understand, as it pertains to God, it means that he is perfect, that he is without fault, that he is never changing, that he is the only true and living God. And so let's break this down a little bit. So uh, the, the statement that I made was that in prayer we acknowledge the holiness of God. And I was trying to think about how I can explain acknowledge. And I was thinking about, so when you walk into a room, right, and there are people in there that you know, what do you do? Do you say hi, you smile at them, that sort of thing? You've acknowledged them. You've acknowledged their presence. But let me make this point. So I know for me, and I'll just speak for me, because I know you guys are Texans, you're Southern, you're nice to everybody, right? You always walk into a room and you speak. But sometimes I may walk into a room and I may not speak to the people that, that that are there. I may not. Think what you want to think about me. But 
there's a point to all of this, so don't, don't get caught up in that. There's a point to all of this. So I thought about why sometimes I may not acknowledge, acknowledge, there's that word, the presence of the people in the room. Sometimes it's just because I have other things on my mind. I'm thinking about my issues, I'm thinking about what I'm about to do, that I don't even take the time to acknowledge the people that are right there before me. I don't even take the time to acknowledge what is before me because my mind is on something else. Let's take that to the spiritual realm. When we pray, we should not come to God with our needs, with our wants immediately. We need to acknowledge his holiness. We need to acknowledge that he is God, that he is the creator. Because here's the thing. Is that so? The second point that I would make about you know just that natural example of coming into a room and not acknowledging the presence of the people there is because you don't necessarily know what to say. But here's the thing: in prayer, it should never be that way, because God has shown us time and time again who He is. So I was thinking about when I'm leading praise and worship. Right, we get up here. There's some exhortation that happens, and then we pray. And you may have noticed. Maybe you haven't noticed, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So when I start my prayers, I, I don't always start it the same way, but I do all, I'm, I'm intentional, intentional about making sure that I acknowledge God. So I'll say something like, um, Lord, we come before your presence and we acknowledge that you are God. We acknowledge that you are the creator. And the reason for that is not so I can sound religious. It's because I'm acknowledging God. And, and what that does, at least for me, and I believe it, it does this for other people as well, is that it puts me in the right frame of mind. Because if I'm coming to God with all of my issues and all of my wants, then I'm, I'm already confused. My, my focus is already not where it's supposed to be. But if I'm coming to God and I'm saying, you're my creator. The thing about creator and the reason why I always, or I, you know, most of the time, nine times out of ten, I start with that is because I understand that I'm a creature, that I am his creation. He is my creator. Therefore, I'm coming to him in prayer because I need help. I need wisdom. I need guidance. I need grace. I need mercy from my creator. I need to seek him because he knows the intent of his design. Remember that? The intent of the design, the purpose, all of that good stuff. So that is why I do that. And it's so important to remember that we come before God, we acknowledge his holiness because he is our creator. He is the one who knows, he has the instructions, let me say it that way. We don't have the instructions within ourselves. He has the instructions. He is the one who can lead us. He is the one who can direct us, even in our prayers. So that's why it's so important to acknowledge the holiness of God in our prayers. Um, a couple of other things. Actually, yeah, I'll say one more. Um, that, going back to that natural example, walk into a room, don't really speak to anybody. Sometimes it's because I just don't want to disturb what's already happening. I don't want to disturb the people that are around me. But bring it back to the spiritual. We should never have that mindset when it comes to God. God delights when you come to him. He loves it when you come to him in prayer. So we should never have the mindset of, and I've heard people say this in this ministry, we should never have the mindset, oh, I don't want to bother God with my problems. I don't want to go to him because, oh, I'll just figure it out myself. No, you can't figure it out yourself. He's God. You're not. End of story. So again, 
this is the acknowledging the holiness of God, and this is this is what our prayer is, or this is this is how our prayer starts. Um, let's keep going. So back to verse two. That was really loud, um, and I'll I'll just start at the beginning again. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. So we're going to focus on that. Thy kingdom come. We all know what a kingdom is, right? A kingdom is a place, a territory where a sovereign, in this case a king, rules and reigns. Right? So with that understanding, um, this, this statement, thy kingdom come, we can understand it in three different contexts. So the first context is that this is referring to the second coming of Christ. He came first as a humble lamb, but the next time that he comes, he's coming as a conquering king. So when we're saying thy kingdom come, we're talking about that second coming, that hope that we have that, that he is coming again and that when he comes, He's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna change everything. He's, he's gonna, it's gonna be a game-changing thing. And then, the second way that we can understand that statement is prayer for new, 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 excuse me, new born-again believers. And what do I mean by that? So a place, uh, a kingdom is a place where the king rules. But even in the natural. Kings always want to expand their territory. They always want to get more people, more territory into their kingdom. You know, the king of kings, he's the same way. The Bible says this about God. He says that he will have all men to be saved. He he doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to come to repentance and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And this is, remember, we're talking about prayer and purpose. This is, if nothing else, if you can't see purpose in anything else I'm saying, you ought to see purpose in this. We need to pray for the lost. Because God's overall purpose is that he wants mankind redeemed. He does not want any to perish. And so that's the second way that we can understand this context of kingdom. The third way that we can understand context of kingdom is that it refers to a personal request. That just as the Lord, as the Lord Jesus rules over all the earth, that he would rule in your life personally. So this is, I love the word Lord, right? Because Lord means that, Lord means master. It means your, your opinion, what you say about me is the only thing that matters. Lord means that my life is not my own. But you've created me. You've given me a purpose, and I'm yielding. I'm submitting into that purpose. So just as God rules over all the earth, he needs to rule in our hearts as well. So that's thy kingdom come. Let's go to the next point. Back to 11 verse 2. 11 verse 2 has a lot of stuff in it. A lot of stuff. Okay. Uh, And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. And so we're going to look at that, that last part. Thy kingdom come, or excuse me, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. And the point that I want to make about this, right, is something that I said a little bit earlier. God's will being done, when we say that, thy will be done, I don't want you to think that that has, that it's like, your will be done in this person. Your will be done in that person. Your will be done in this region. You are included in God's will being done. 
God wants his will to be done in you. And that is so important for us to remember. Let's go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, let's start at verse 14. Scripture reads, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. So when we say thy will be done, what is that teaching us about prayer? It's teaching us that prayer is communicating with God, not to, like uh, my sister mentioned this morning, about his will being done. And this includes, includes God's will being done in you. And, and what does that mean, God's will being done in you? Well, the scripture says that he desires that we bear fruit. He desires that we bear fruit. In your bearing fruit, he can be seen through you. So, so think about it this way, right? I, we, we say this all the time, that, that what God has given you is for you, but it's also for others. And the same principle is working here. You bearing fruit, that's going to benefit you because you're growing in, in, in Christ. You're continuing in the walk. But the point of you bearing fruit is so that God, is so that Christ can be seen in you. When you're bearing fruit, uh, this morning we talked about the difference between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. When you're bearing the fruit of the Spirit in a world that's all about the works of the flesh, you, you're going to look different you're inevitably going to look different. And that's the point. Because when you can stand out in that way, when you, what does the Bible say? Be a light in a dark place. Be a city that is set on a hill. When you can do that, then you can bring God glory. And that's his will being done. Because when people see Christ in you, what does the Bible say? And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So when people can see Christ in you, people are being drawn to that. And people can be drawn to Christ. People can come into his kingdom in that way. So it's very important in understanding God's will being done that it first has to be done in you. And then it can be done through you. Amen. Okay, we're finally at verse 3. Uh, back to Luke 11. And I knew this was going to happen. It's okay. God is faithful. Let's read verses 2 and 3 again. And he said unto them, and so as I'm reading this, remember the things that we've just talked about. We should understand what this scripture is saying a little bit better because we've just gone through it. So we should understand what prayer is a little bit better and why it's so necessary. Verse 2. And he said unto them, when ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. As in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. 
And I love that scripture. I love verse 3. And this is, this is really, really where I wanted to be tonight. Um, go to John 6. Because we're going to go there in a second. So the scripture reads, Give us day by day our daily bread. And from this statement, we understand that prayer is daily requesting that God gives you your portion of daily bread. And so, naturally, the question is, what is that daily bread? What, what is that? John chapter 6, we're going to look at verse 30. We read this this morning, right? Verse 30. They said, therefore, unto him, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Sounds, does that sound like somebody familiar? Verse 34. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So from this passage of scripture, we understand that the daily bread that Luke 11 is talking about, it's not natural or temporal bread. Um, you know, like the, the, the manna that the children of Israel were eating in the desert. That was temporal. That was, that, was, um, that was natural. But the bread that we're talking about comes from heaven, and it is eternal. And in John 6 and 35, I pause and I emphasize that because it, it gives us clearly, clearly the answer. Jesus is the bread of life. And so let's just briefly talk about who Jesus is, right? So you don't have to go here, but we know that I know that Sunday night crowd is Bible scholars, so we don't have to go here. John chapter 1 verse 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? So we're talking about the Word. This is our topic. And then if we go to verse 14, the scripture reads, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we understand that Jesus is the only begotten Son. So let's connect all of those pieces. The Word became flesh. The Word is the only begotten of the Son. Jesus is the only begotten of the Son. Oh, the Word is Jesus. And so if we're looking at, if we're connecting it back to what we just said as well, Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus, also, Jesus is also the Word. So what does that mean? The bread of life is the Word of God. Simple as that. Just, just use quick connections, right? So, in short, this bread is talking about the Word of God, and we need the Word of God daily. Um, what is the bread for? That's another question that we need to ask and answer. Let's go to John chapter 4, and I'll give you the answer before we read it. <laughs> the bread is to complete the work that God has given us, plain and simple. 
So in John chapter 4, we're not going to read this whole thing for the sake of time, but this is the passage where Jesus says, I must needs go through Samaria. Uh, he goes to a well to get a drink of water, and then this lady comes up to him talking about her problems and all of that kind of stuff. And Jesus has an opportunity to minister to her. And so we're going to pick it up at verse 32. Oh, wait, before this, well... Yeah, before this, um, his disciples were not in the whole exchange between Jesus and this woman at the well. They went to go get Jesus something to eat because they were hungry. I understand. Um, so verse 32. But he said unto them, I have, eat, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. So what is the daily bread for? The daily bread is so that we can do the will of the one who sent us, and so that we can finish his work. Amen? Okay. So, let me just read this. So after Jesus ministers to the woman at the well, he tells his disciples who had brought him natural food that he was already full of spiritual food, i.e. the word. Because Jesus was filled with the word, because he was, he was filled with the work that he needed to do, with the purpose of God, he was able, even at this unexpected time, to minister to the woman at the well. So in like manner, when we get our portion of daily bread, which we said was Jesus, the truth, the word of God, then we are ready for whatever the day may bring. We can be instant, in season and out of season. I mean, like, let's think about this, right? Jesus went to the well to get some water. And I know that, I know that he's God, right? So he knows everything. But he went to the well to get water. He did not go to the well because he was looking for this conversation. Actually, you know what? Let me not use Jesus as an example because he's God, so he knew everything. Let me use myself as an example. So ever since I started meditating on this particular, this message, and, and specifically this part about the daily bread and give us day by day our daily bread, I have been intentional and made an effort to, to ask this, to ask, because the Bible says we need to ask for this daily bread. And I was, <laughs> I was meeting up with one of my friends from school. Um, I like to, you know, just get together with her from time to time to check on her. And this is someone that you talk about God's purpose from the very beginning of, I'm not going to cry. I refuse. Um, from the very beginning of my college career, this person has been just someone that I've been ministering to. And she, she's just gone through a lot, right? And so in this one particular instance, um, we were just kind of driving around, right, having conversation, you know, not talking about anything deep or anything like that. And then as we were leaving, I had an opportunity to actually minister to her. So I was talking to this friend, and I don't know if you guys have ever had conversations where it's just flowing, right? Like, it's not hard to come up with what you should say next or where you should go or what you need to say to minister to that person. 
but it was that sort of conversation. And I was just able to minister to her and got her to a point where she recognized kind of, you know, where she had gone wrong and that she needed to to stop running away from God and all of these different things. I'm not going to go into the details. The point I want to make is that I was able to have that impact because I had been purposeful in praying. I wasn't even, (laughs) here's the thing about it, is that I wasn't even praying about this particular person that day. I just asked God, I need this daily bread. I don't know what's going to happen today, you know. I don't know who I'm going to come across, but I need this daily bread. And suffice it to say, he gave it. And it made an impact. And, you know, we talk about seeds being planted and seeds being watered, but ultimately God gives the increase. I had been planting seeds since the beginning of college, right? been watering but I saw God bring the increase that day and it's because of prayer it's because I understood that prayer is for a purpose prayer even though we don't always know what to pray for we don't always know the words to say we don't always know the content of our prayers right but it's all about the purpose of God and God honored that because he saw that in my heart I just wanted his will to be done and I was able to be used in that situation okay I'm done crying so I'm going to stop talking about that (laughs) um But again, you can't be instant like that if you don't have the word in you. What resides in your heart and soul is made manifest through your body eventually. So, right, that that, the scripture that says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. And so if your heart is full of the word of God, that's what's going to flow from you. No matter what the situation, you don't have to know in advance what the situation is. Your prayer is not, Lord, what's going to happen today? No, your prayer is, God, give me what I need to happen today. I don't need to know. You know what's going to happen today. You know what I need. And then he gives it. So with that, we have a part and God has a part. God is always going to do what he said he's going to do. So he's always going to supply that daily bread. But our part is asking. We have to ask God every day for this daily bread, for the word that you will need to have the capacity to complete the work that God has for you. Now, something that I loved about this scripture Uh, Where am I? I'm not even in Luke anymore. Hello. Y'all can go back to Luke 11. I'm just going to read this one scripture real quick. So Luke 11, verse 3. When I first read this, I was struck by the emphasis here, right? The scripture says, give us day by day our daily bread. I just said day like three times. So there's something that's important about that. And so the next question that I ask in in, in studying this is what does daily mean? Right? We can say pray without ceasing. We can say, you know, give me this day my daily. But what does daily actually mean? So as as some of y'all know, 
I don't have time for this. I went to UT, University of Texas at Austin. Love my school. It's a great school. Some people hate it. And the, <laughs> and the, the number one reason why people say that they hate it is because it's so big. And they're like, we hate all those, you know, the idea of being in a class of like 500 people. And so when I was, a, uh, yeah, I was a freshman. When I was a freshman, um, I did have one of those classes that had like 500 people. And it was so funny because at the beginning of the semester, right, those classes would be full. All 500 there. <laughs> and then we got about a month in and it's like, okay. Two-thirds of the class is gone. I guess they don't need uh, to pass the, the test. But then we'd have a class that was right before, you know, our exam day that was just dedicated to review. All 500 back again. And so what's the point I'm trying to make with this? I'm really not trying to tell you all about my college career. But the point I'm trying to make is that there's these certain type of students, Right? There's your crammers. You have students who want to try to cram in three months of instruction into one day for the exam that's like two days later. But then you also have like your casual students. You also have casual Christians, but that's another thing. Casual students. These are people who they'll go to class for a week. And then they'll be like, uh, I'm not feeling it for the next three weeks. And then they'll go to class for a day, uh, I'm not feeling it for the next three days. So they're just really casual. And so what they're receiving is very spotty, right? And I said casual Christians for a reason, because we do have casual Christians. We have people who come to church, they do a month of Sundays really, really good. And then they go on vacation for like two weeks. And then, you know, they don't feel, they have a stomach ache the next Sunday, so they miss that. And then the next Sunday, they're like, well, I've already missed three Sundays. Why do I need to go today? Like, I'm just going to stay at home and watch football or something. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but whatever. Um, so, again, you have these casual Christians, and when you're like that, your information, the information that you're getting is very spotty. But then you can also have these crammer Christians who are like, I'm not going to go to church for like three months and then one Sunday, just give me, give me, give me, give me, give me all the word that you can give me because I have this issue in my life. And it doesn't work like that. The word of God has to be day by day. If you're writing notes, I do want you to write these two statements down. And I'll give y'all like 15 seconds for each one. <laughs> so the first statement is, each day comes with a new opportunity, underline opportunity, to choose to eat of the daily bread. But likewise, every day comes with a new reason to eat of the daily bread. Whether you eat or not is your choice, but choosing not to eat is not going to change that you need it. You need the Word of God on a day-to-day -day basis. Whether you're getting it on a day-to-day -day basis or not is up to you. And you're going to reap the results of what you sow. So, 
Remember, this is all connected and tied to the will of God being done in the earth. The purpose of the daily bread is to finish the work God has given you. The work God has given you is a part of God's overall purpose. And you need strength and you need to be equipped because you are a part of that purpose. And I'm going to have to end it right here, but I do want to challenge you. So today is Sunday, right? Day dedicated to church, you know, especially for you Sunday night people. Real dedicated, real committed. But you don't just need the word on Sunday. You need the word on Monday. You need it on Tuesday. You definitely need it on Wednesday because we see your faces when you come in here. (laughs) You need the word on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday. So I want to challenge you. Be intentional about this. If you're not intentional about anything else that I said today, be intentional about this. Ask God for that daily bread. I promise you, I am a living witness. He's going to give it to you. And your day, you know what? The day may not be everything that you want it to be. But you will be equipped for every situation that comes your way. And ultimately, that's what we want. Because prayer is about God's purpose. You have a part in that purpose. And you, if, you, if you're truly a believer, if you're truly a follower of Christ, you want God's will to be done. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.